was, was the war cry of the reformers. They set their feet firmly upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified and refused to move an inch. The Roman Catholic Church believed in scripture, believed in grace, believed in faith, believed in Christ, believed in the glory of God. But the reformers added the most important word of all, alone, 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 alone. That scripture is the authority and scripture alone, that we are saved by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone, in Christ and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. alone. These are the five solos. Sola Scriptura. You're the five solas for the Lord's devoted. Hoping that you would hold them up close to your soul so you'll be molded to a stronger soldier. So we brought the squad the rest with just a couple things to do. I say we start the record inspecting the formal principle. Sola Scriptura, Latin for scripture alone. The call for the church to turn back to where truth is shown. Come see the scriptures that we speak of. Indeed, there is nothing missing to make men complete, though not exhaustive, it's sufficient. The word of God is the final law and authority for all of our doctrine, faith in our life, morally. The moral of the story is God's word is supreme. But if you're the Lord in your story, you're living off hopes and schemes. The word of God is our defense against wolves trying to blind you, claiming what they teach is truth but can't find it in the Bible. Nothing new under the sun, cause since the Reformation days, it don't seem like much has changed in this information age. Every time we spit about this grace and what we rap, we are trying to get this point across your face in the... I know the bass in the beat is a place, so I put on a bow face and preach what I embrace. Preach a dire race, Lord, the minds of each the base. The lamb was sacrificed and the lion beat the case. The great I am, I am, proclaiming to the nations. Only save those he chose before the whole creation. Salvation's in his hands, all according to his will. Not according to a man's understanding, never will. Chill, still, feel egos like cream filling. There's no ability to veto what you deem fulfilling. There is no sin killing, there's only sin willing You deserve wrath, he sent the son to kill him The place of the punishment sin is deserved And only by his grace sin is the saints he will preserve Sola fide. I said it before, I'll say it again He paid it for men, the payment for sin We could never afford when laden with them More heavy of course than elephant hordes With eloquent swords, the savior was pinned As blameless condemned when souls he redeemed Not only receives, embracing his friends, those who believe now we soberly see that our salvation is his Since we're hopeless indeed, we don't hope in our deeds Yeah, I'm willing to stay boldly He justifies by faith only, not by posts or decrees Get it open and read, Romans 4, 5 or Galatians 2, 16 Just believe, no promotions or fees Preserved until the day we approach him as clean Unearned like still remains, it's supposed to be free Simul uses et pecador, our hope in our creed So if any man does boast, let him boast in the Let's maneuver toward his work, that's your future Stores the words, never knew ya Jewish native, Reuben David Move the saving, prove the payment You was taken, through a vacant, tumulated Soul is Christus, who is him? The soul invictus, pursuing him is to behold the scriptures no newer skin, a pseudonym you can use to remove your sin or the impending doom of men. No atonement provides aroma for those who are faithless. No opponent can bribe Jehovah to lower the wages. Rolled to show the disciples no hope in Moses could save us. Chose to open the eyes of those on the road to amaze us. Unrolled the scroll of papyrus, spoke and unfolded his greatness. From Jonah, Jonah to Micah showed the appropriate state. And overload of insightful tokens disclosed to the nation. Don't need a code to decipher, homie, just open the page. Catch me. Cannot be 
exhausted, he's the king, y'all just lost it, thinking that you gon' be taking his place, his office, he's awesome, we try to seek this one thing, even though it don't belong to us, and when we get it to ourselves, I can't believe we get so dangerous, it's scandalous how we need to need it, if we don't get it, we feel defeated, I guess it gives us purpose, reason, tell me what's your perfect reason for it, you can't because you flawed, Broken down, beaten, miserable, dead, scarred We so independent, our soul can't get with the fact That we can't do anything to change our disposition What is that? We crumble underneath the reality That we helpless, it's a tragedy When we find out God don't help those that help themselves That's a fallacy, don't get mad at me Cause salvation is not of the synergist Christ orchestrates it all Yeah, he's perfectly sovereign God is against all vain glory So get off of your utopia To God be the glory alone Sola Deo Gloria the five solas are God's five-fingered death punch to crush the devil's skull in every generation of the world. We must ever keep our feet firmly planted on the five solas, lest we be moved from the ancient gospel. We have need to fly the war banners of the gospel again in the five solas of the Reformation. 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 everybody it's pastor randy aka pastor jay's here with made free church idaho and made free church um man it never goes to the whole thing out of my intro it sucks anyway guys let me let, let me turn on some music for you here um turn this down a little bit Guys, I, I hope you guys are having a great morning. I know that I am, you know, waking up every morning and getting with God and listening to the preachers that I listen to. You know, I listen to uh, Jack Hibbs. I listen to Jay Vernon McGee, Alistair Begg, R.C. Sproul. And I spend a couple hours listening to these different perspectives. And I really believe that you should listen to different perspectives, right? Um we're going to be talking about today, which a lot of, hold on one second, my stream just went out, give me one second. Oh, this sucks, man. Anyway, <laughs> let's just get on real quick. There we go. Sorry, we're back. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, the enemy doesn't want me to be speaking about this because, you know, he just doesn't want it, man. You know what I mean? He, he really doesn't want it. So we're going to be talking about five undeniable affirmations this morning. Um, and it's going to be great, guys. You know what I mean? It's really, really, really going to be great. Um, 
So, uh, just before we get started, guys, if you guys need prayer, please go to madefreechurch.org. We are a praying church. We believe in the power of prayer. And if you guys need prayer, please go to madefreechurch.org. There's a little prayer tab up there. And you can put submit your prayer tab there. We have a whole intercessory prayer team that prays over your prayer requests every day. Um, so, yeah, do that. So let's let's get into this Bible study this morning. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. And guys, we're only halfway through Romans, right? I, we still got a long way to go. So, um, and then, you know, we're going to go to uh, the book of Luke. And we're going to get back to basics of our Christianity and why we believe and, and who was God and who is Jesus and why did he come why did he do the things he did, why he did he died on the cross and we're going to just get into the basic training of being a Christian and we're going to spend a very very long time in the book of Luke so uh, you guys be prepared for that I know you guys been here with me with Romans Romans is awesome it's got a lot of meat in romans so we're going to be talking about the five undeniable affirmations today so if you open up your word to uh uh, uh romans chapter 8 we're going to be verses 29 and 30. okay heavenly father we just come before you we thank you for your word we thank you for this time god we ask god that you just do almighty work get this lowly preacher out of the way and let your word come forth, Lord. And the people that are watching and listening on the podcast, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you penetrate their heart with this this word this morning, Lord. And every word that they hear, Lord. Doesn't mean if it's for me or or any other pastor or, or preacher that they listen to, Lord. That the that your word penetrates their heart like something uh 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 you know, like something never before, Lord. We just thank you and we love you. And we just want to be more like you, Lord. And thank you. For these affirmations, Lord, thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, the first verse in this greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything that else that follows in the rest of chapter 8 tells us why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Now, there are a number of reasons why there is now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first is because there's no condemnation uh, from the law, right? Second is because we've been delivered from the flesh. We find delivered from the law in verses 1 through 4. Delivered from the flesh, verses 5 through 11. Third it is because we are now children of God, verses 12 through 17. Fourth is because we have a hope for a future glory, verses 18 through 25. Fifth is because of the intercession of the Holy Spirit, verses um, you know, 26 and 27. And sixth, because of five unshakable convictions now today we see the seventh reasons why there's no now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that's because of five undeniable affirmations and we see this in Romans chapter 8 verses 29 through 30 so let's read that 
in order to see this in the in, in the in the in context it says for those who he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those that he predestined he called and those he called he justified and those he justified he glorified you know when we studied uh, Romans 8.28 on Wednesday, you know, I said that this verse is the most comforting statements in the entire Word of God. And the reason is obvious, right? It, it tells us in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That is, God has a great and good purpose for all Christians. And he's working in and all in many detailed circumstances of our lives to achieve that. The wonderful, uh, wonderful as that verse is, the verse that follows is even more wonderful. For it tells us that God accomplishes this person, uh, purpose and reminds us that it is God himself who accomplishes it. You know, uh, I heard, I came across an amusing, but apparently uh, a true story. In 1966, the Hindu holy man and mystic Rao announced that on a certain day that he would walk on water. This attracted a great deal of attention, and 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 the day on the day that he that that he that he that he set, you know, for uh, this you know walking on water, a great crowd gathered around a large swimming pool in the Bombay, India, where it was you know where this was to take place. Now, Rao briefly uh, prepared himself for the miracle and then stepped forward to the pool's edge. A solemn hush fell over the assembled observers. Rao glanced upward to heaven, stepped forward onto the water, and immediately plummeted into the pool's depths. Right? Now, this guy was furious, dripping wet. When he came out of the pool, he turned angrily to the embarrassed crowd and said this. He shouted this. One of you isn't a believer. Fortunately, our salvation is not like that because if it were, it would never happen. In spiritual matters, we are all unbelievers. We are weak in faith and we are taught that these great verses from Romans that salvation does not depend upon our faith. However, necessary that faith may be but rather on the work of God see Romans 29 and 30 tells us that there is no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus because of five undeniable affirmations and and these five affirmations in these verses constitutes an unbreakable chain of five links each affirmation points to something that God has done for us and stresses God's sovereignty in our salvation. The five undeniable uh, affirmations is a chain of God's sovereign acts are foreknowledge, predestination, effectual calling, justification, and glorification. So let us look at each one of these five affirmations in a little bit more detail. The first undeniable affirmation is foreknowledge. Paul says, for those he foreknew, in verses 29a, that's the beginning of the verse. Foreknowledge is the most important of these five terms, but it's also the most understood. 
The word fornu is, compo is composed of two separate words. For, which means beforehand, and new. And so it, it, it means to know beforehand, right? Now, it, it's been taken by some to mean that God knows all things, right? Therefore, God knew before who would believe and who would not. The result of this for uh, uh, knowledge is that God predestined salvation those whom he foresaw that would believe on him. In other words, he foresaw or foreknew was our faith. But this explanation does not do justice to our text. For one thing, the verse does not say that God foreknew what certain of his creatures would do. It is not talking about human actions at all. On the con on the other on contrary, it's speaking of the entirely of God and what God does. Now, each of these five terms is like God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God, God justified, and God glorified. Besides, the object of divine foreknowledge is not our actions, but ourselves. In a sense, God's meanings has fixed his special attention upon us. Uh, the this is, this is a way of, of a Hebrew word, it is to know, yada, Y-A-D-A, is used in the Old Testament, right? For example, Genesis 4-2 says, now Adam knew his Eve, uh, Adam knew Eve, his wife. That is, Adam fixed his love upon Eve. One sees this language throughout the Old Testament. In a similar way, foreknowledge has to do with God fixing his love upon certain individuals. It has nothing to do with God knowing their actions ahead of time. It is to do with God's loving them personally. On the other, uh, there, there is another problem with this, right? If all the word foreknoons that uh, means is that God knows beforehand that what we will do in response to him or the preaching of the gospel then determines our destiny on that basis, what could God possibly see or foreknew except a fixed opposition to him on the part of all people? If our hearts are depraved as Paul has been teaching that they are and indeed it says in Romans 3 10 and 11 what could God possibly it, it says this none of us are righteous no not one none un, no one understands no one seeks God what could God possibly foresee in any human heart but hardened and unchanging and unbelief commentator John Murray puts it this way even if we were granted that foreknew means foresight of faith, the biblical doctrine of sovereign election is not thereby eliminated or disproven. For it is certainly true that God foresees faith. He foresees all that comes to pass. The question would then simply be, whence proceeds his faith, which God foresees? And the only biblical answer is that the faith which God foresees is the faith he himself creates. John 3, uh, 
uh, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, chapter 6, verse 44, 45, and 65, Ephesians 2, 8, Philippians 1, 29, and 1 Peter 1, 2. So hence his eternal foresight of faith is preconditioned by his decree to generate this faith in those whom he foresees as believing. Foreknowledge means that the salvation has its origins in the mind or internal counsels of God, not in man. It focuses our attention on the distinguishing love of God, according to which some persons are elected to conform to the character of Jesus Christ, which is what Paul's about to say. Hey guys, if you guys want to, if you guys are on Facebook or YouTube and want to say something in the comments, go right ahead. I will see it and I will respond to it in kind. Now, the second undeniable affirmation is predestination. Paul says in 29b, it's the middle of the verse, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. The objection to this understanding of foreknowledge is that foreknowledge and predestination means the same thing and Paul is therefore being redundant in other words he's repeating himself but the terms are not synonymous predestination carries us a step further like foreknowledge predestination is composed of two words pre meaning beforehand and destined meaning destination it means to determines a person's destiny beforehand and if this sense, if this is the sense in which it differs from foreknowledge, right? Foreknowledge means to know beforehand in a sense of fixing one's love upon someone. It does not tell us what happens to those upon whom God fixed his love. That is what predestination supplies, right? It tells us that having fixed his love upon certain individuals, God then appointed them to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many, many brothers in 29c. He, he, does, he does this in the next terms, uh, in the next term, so by calling, justifying, and glorifying and those he, he chose, that he's chosen. R.C. Sproul says, that a woman once asked him, does the Bible teach the doctrine of predestination? And Sproul said that his answer to her was not a simple yes, followed by a lengthy explanation. Rather, his answer was much more emphatic. He said this, of course the Bible teaches the doctrine of predestination. He said, I say that it's dogmatically as I possibly can, uh, can because the assertion is indisputable. I don't know anyone who has ever read the scriptures or particularly the book of Romans who has not tried to argue that the Bible has no doctrine of predestination. You see, the term predestination is a biblical term. The Bible clearly teaches the doctrine of predestination. Now that people dis there, there are what people disagree over is the kind of predestination that is in the in view. Armenians argue that God predestines people to salvation on the basis of foreseen faith in the sinner. Reformed and Calvinist, and I am reformed, I'm not a Calvinist, 
argue that God predestines his people to salvation on the basis of knowing certain individuals before beforehand on the basis of his love so the third undeniable affirmation is effectual calling and Paul says that those whom he predestined he also called in verse 38 that's the beginning of the verse the next step is the golden chain of the five undeniable affirmations is what theologians call effectual calling right uh, it is important for us to use the adjective effectual at this point because there are two different kinds of calling referred in the Bible and it's easy to get them confused one kind is an external general universal it's it's a it is open invitation to all persons to repent of sin turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved it is what Jesus was speaking when he said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all who are labored and heavy, la uh, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And then again, in John 7, 37, it is, Anyone thirst, let him uh, come to me and drink. The problem with this type of call is that, left to ourselves, no one would ever respond positively. We hear the call, but we would turn away, preferring our own ways to God. That is... Why Jesus said in John 6 44 no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them <laughs> another kind of calling is the internal specific effectual call that is it is not only it, it not only issues the invitation it also provides the ability or willingness to respond positively it is God's drawing to himself and bringing spiritual life to the one who without the call would remain spiritually dead and far from him. There is no greater illustration than this of Jesus calling Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, who died, who had died for four, four days before in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Lazarus is in his grave, right, is a picture of every human being in the spiritual states, dead in soul, bound in grave clothes, lying in a tomb, sealed with a great stone. Now, let, let, let us, let me and you call out Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. We want you back. We miss you. You know, uh, uh, if you just get up out of the tomb and return to us, uh, you will find that we're anxious to have you back. And no one's going to put any obstacles in your way. What? Why, why won't Lazarus come out? Doesn't he want to be with us? See, the problem is that Lazarus does not have the ability to come out. The call is given, but he cannot come. Ah, but let Jesus take the place before the tomb. Let Jesus call out Lazarus, come out. And the result is quite different. The words are the same, but the call is no mere invitation. It's a it's, it's what we call effectual calling. For the same God who originally called the creation out of nothing is now calling life out of death and ha and he has heard and, and has heard he has heard the call, right? Lazarus, though he's been dead for four days, hears Jesus and obeys his master of voice, master's voice. This is how God effectually 
call those that he has foreknown and predestined to salvation. The fourth undeniable affirmation is justification. Paul says in verse 30b, and those whom he had called, he has also justified, right? The next step in God's great chain of, of, of saving action is justification. Now we talked a lot about justification already uh, in this series, so we don't really we don't really need to discuss it in detail here. But briefly, uh, it's a judicial act by which God declares sinful men and women to be right standing before Him, not on the basis of our own merit, for we have none. But on the basis of what Jesus has done for us by dying in our place on the cross. Jesus bore our punishment, taking the penalty of our sins upon himself. Those sins, have, having been punished, God then imputes the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. There are two re... Wait a minute. <laughs> what does... What does... What, what does need to be discussed here is the relationship of effectual calling to justification. To put it in another form, to put it in a form of a question, why does Paul place calling where he does in this chain? Why does calling come between predestination and justification? And let me tell you, there's two reasons. First, calling is a point at which things determined beforehand in the mind of God pass over into time we speak foreknowledge and predestination but these two time preferences have meaning to us strictly speaking there is no time frame in god because the end is as the beginning and the beginning as the end for and pre are meaningless in the regard to him god simply knows and determines that eternally but what he does but but what he what he does decree in eternity becomes in actual time the calling is the point where foreknowledge and predestination have some have some to salvation find concrete manifestation we are creatures in time so it's by god's specific calling of us to faith in time that we are saved and the second justification comes after the calling in this list of of, of acts divine actions right it's always connected with faith or belief and and it's through god's call of the individual that faith is brought into being god's call creates faith or could we perhaps more accurately say it is the call of God that brings forth spiritual life for which faith is the first true evidence of proof. See, Romans 8, 29-30 does not contain a full list of steps in the person's experience of salvation. Only five of the most important steps undertaken by God on the behalf of Christians. If the text were if the text were to include all of the steps, what theologians called orda salutis, salut, uh, salutis, 
it would have a list of these and this would and this is the order foreknowledge predestination calling regeneration conversion which consists of faith and repentance justification adoption sanctification perseverance and glorification see the full the full list makes the point after predestination the very next thing is our calling and out of which faith leads to justification see the, the bible never says that we're saved by our faith that would make faith something good in us that we somehow contribute to the process but it does say that we're saved by or through faith meaning that God must create in us before we can be justified. The fifth undeniable affirmation is glorification, right? Paul says in 30C, uh, verse 30C, uh, which is the end of the verse, right? And those he have, he, the, whom he is justified, he's also glorified. Glorification means to be made like Jesus Christ which is what Paul said earlier. But notice this. Paul mentions glorification. He refers to it in the past sense, glorified, rather than in the future will glorify or the future passive tense will be glorified, which is what we might have expected him to have done. Why this? The, the reason is that he is thinking of the final step of our salvation as being so certain that it is possible to refer to is as having already happened and of course he does he does this deliberately to assure us that this is exactly what will happen so do you remember how he put it to the writings of the christian in philippi in, in Philippians 1.6, he says this, And I'm sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The shorthand of what we're learning here in Romans, God began the good work by foreknowledge, predestination, calling, and justification because he never goes back on anything that he has said or he changes his mind we can know that he will carry it on until the day we will be like Jesus Christ and being glorified. So I have a simple conclusion. It is to remind you again that these are all things that God has done. They are the most important things, things that matter. Without them, none of us would be saved or continue in that salvation do you have to believe of course we do paul has already spoken on the nature and the necessity of faith in chapters three and four but even our faith is of god or should we probably better say the result of his working in us in ephesians paul says in ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine for by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your own doing but it's a gift from God not a result of works so that no one may boast see when we're when we are first saved we naturally think that we had a great deal to do with our salvation and perhaps because of wrong or shallow teaching 
but more likely it's because we know more about our own thoughts and feelings than we do about God. But the longer that we are Christians, the further one moves from any feeling that we are responsible for our, our salvation or any part of it. And the closer we come to the conviction that it is all of God, it is a good thing it is God's too. Because if salvation were accomplished by us, we could just easily unaccomplish it and probably would. If God is the author, salvation is something that is done wisely, well, and forever. Robert Haldane, a commentator of Romans, uh, provides a, a kind of a, a cool little summary about it. He says this, In looking back on this passage, we should observe that in all that is stated, man acts no part, but passive, but is passive. All and all is done by God. He is elected and predestined and called and justified and glorified by God. The apostle was here concluding all that he had said before in enumerating topics of consolation of two believers and is now going on to show God is for us or a part of his people. Could anything then be more consoling that those who love God than be in this matter assured that the great concern of their salvation is not left of their own keeping. God, even their covenant God, has taken the whole upon himself. He has undertaken for them. There is no room then for any chance of, or change. He will perfect that which concerns them. You know, Years ago, Bible teacher Harry Ironside told a story about an old Christian who was asked to give his testimony, and he told how God sought him, found him, loved him, called him, and saved him, delivered him, cleansed him, and healed him, a great witness of grace and power of the glory of God. But after meeting, after the meeting, a, a poorly taught brother looked at him, uh, took him aside, and criticized his testimonies. He says. I appreciate all that you said about God, what God did for you, but you didn't mention anything about your part in it. Salvation is really part of us and part God. You should have mentioned something about your part. Oh yes, the old Christian said. I apologize for that. I'm sorry. I really should have said something about my part. My part was running away and his part was running after me until he caught me. See, we, we've all run away, but God set his love on us, predestined us to become like Jesus Christ, called us to faith, repentance, justified us, and yes, even glorified us, so certain of the completion in his plan. May he alone be praised. Amen? Guys, a lot of you guys don't even believe in the predestination or even the effectual call, but it's biblical and I just proved it. You know, doesn't matter if you're reformed, doesn't matter, you know, if you're Pentecostal, if you're, you know, uh, non-denominational or whatever, right? What it does mean is the effectual call of God bringing you, that, that he's predestined you, 
that he's called you, that he's justified you, and that he's glorified you. And that is the basis about what, what it's biblical. So it's what we should have faith. People don't like the word elect. People don't like the word effectual. They don't like certain things. You know what I mean? They just don't. You know, um, we have to understand that all this is biblical. You know, even though I hold to the reformed doctrine, and me, you might not, and that's okay, but this is all biblical, right? Oh, man. So, a couple uh, more. Uh, uh, announcements before I go um, guys we have we have planted a church here in Idaho and we need your support and help um, you can go to madefreechurch.org you can go to the Made Free Church Idaho tab and then you'll see down at the very bottom page if you could support financially that would be awesome we need your support to launch this church and we still need to buy tables we still need to buy a lot of different things and um, and so if you guys could help out financially, that would be great. If you guys cannot help out financially, your prayers is what we need the most. But, you know, uh, there's a PayPal button down there that you can help support uh, Made Free Church financially in Idaho, here in Idaho. And we do need your support. Um, and uh, remember, give your uh, email address so we can send you a tax deductible receipt. And guys, we are seeking pastors, evangelists, we're seeking preachers, we're seeking, you know, teachers and ministers to be a part of a, a, of a great uh, new ministry that we call Preach Corps. And that's bringing all us together in unification and preaching the full counsel of God. And you can check us out for more information at PreachCorps.org. And, uh, um, If you guys would like to support Made Free Church as a whole, you can do that. You can do that in three ways. You can do it by our cash app. You can do that by our PayPal link. Or you can send a check or money order to the addresses provided on the website, madefreechurch.org. Please, guys, leave your email addresses so we can send you a tax-deductible receipt. And, guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for being here. God bless every single one of you on our podcast as well as on YouTube. And... Um, Facebook. God bless you guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity that we get, Lord, to hear your word. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you have a great day. God bless you.